Hello everyone, Fanta here, you're watching Fantavision, and welcome to another episode of Back to the Futon Solo Quarantine Edition, that is correct. It's just me again, so if you don't like these kind of episodes, I'm sorry. I will try to get a guest for the next episode, but I did not have time with this one. been working on a bunch of other stuff, um, and work's been crazy. Just every everything's been a lot crazier than I thought it would be this week. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into the episode. I want to, of course, thank you all for joining me. I hope everything is going well in your neck of the woods. And hopefully you're not bored as shit, because I know a lot of people are right now, and hopefully this kind of stuff can help get you through the boredom. Because that's really what it is. It's not like anybody's really afraid of anything anymore. We're all just kind of bored. Which is really funny that there are different things that have, you know, kind of come out and not done well. Like uh, that Quibi thing, which I didn't even know what the hell that was until I heard that it was pretty much dead already. That's hilarious. Really like that. Um, I mean, I don't normally root for the downfall of anything, but it's just kind of funny that a company would blame this whole crisis on not surviving when it's literally a media platform. You know, I mean, what else do you have to blame except for yourself and the stupid name of your app? I mean, good God, Quibi is the dumbest name for an app I've ever heard of. Like, you might as well just name it some other nonsensical word like Woodaloo or Ha Ha. Nah. Just name it a horrible sound, and I feel like it'd still be better than Quibi. Also, we have BlizzCon canceled, but nobody is surprised, and nobody, in my opinion, really cares. Um, I mean, that's, that's blatantly wrong. I know, I know there's a lot of people that do care that it's canceled, but... I mean, every BlizzCon, like the, for the past couple of years, it's just been disappointment after disappointment. I mean, I can't remember the real last time that I was excited during BlizzCon for it to be a thing. Yeah, maybe three or four years ago I was excited. I remember when WoW Classic was announced. I was pretty excited for that. That was cool. But besides that, I don't know. It's just been... It's just a company I'm not really excited for anymore. You know, I, I could care less. I couldn't care less. I almost said it wrong. I couldn't care less about Overwatch 2. And I couldn't care less about Diablo for the phone. Like, I'm sure I'm going to play it and discuss it. But beyond that, I have no interest. Mm. Drinking another Sierra Nevada hazy little thing. Drinking a bunch of these because I have a bunch of them. You're going to be seeing me drink a lot of moon juice pretty soon because I have a ton of that as well, and that's Santan. This is a really good beer, though. I like it. I think Sierra Nevada is a, uh, yeah, family-owned, operated, and argued over. I love it. I love it. I'll, I'll go like this. I'm not even sponsored by them, but I like the look of the can. Um, speaking of sponsorships, I might be sponsored by a chair company, like, months from now. And by sponsorship, I mean they're going to send me a chair, and they'll give me, like, a discount code or something. I don't know. I'm not going to really talk about it in great detail until it actually happens, but I'm pretty excited for it because I've been needing a new chair because all of mine are terrible. I mean, the chair I'm using right now 
is slightly better than my other chair, but it's just so noisy. In fact, I even, in my new video, I was like, holy crap, the arms keep making noise. I need to stop using it in videos. And here I am for an hour long video slash audio thing that people are going to listen to. And I forgot to switch chairs. So I'm gonna go ahead and apologize right there for that. Start my three part apology. Um, also, I do wanna talk about the whole Keemstar versus the world. It's kind of hilarious seeing this whole thing unfold. I know a lot of you guys don't care about YouTube drama, but I feel like everybody's heard of Keemstar at this point. It's not like two creators that nobody really watches. Like nobody watches the Pauls. I'm gonna say none of you do. I mean, you guys have some sort of IQ, I would assume. So I don't think you watch them. I also doubt any of you guys watch Keemstar, but you've heard of Keemstar and pretty much nobody likes Keemstar. He's, he's kind of the, the villain of the YouTube sphere because he just bullies people and he accuses people of everything with no evidence. I mean, this guy just completely ruins people's lives over nothing. He swats people. Anyway, it's really funny to see this attack again get re-sparked since, like, I mean, 2016, there was the content cop from iDubs, just annihilated Keemstar, but for some reason that did absolutely nothing to his channel. I mean, I guess it makes sense why nothing happened. I mean, he's already known for being a dickhead, so if you're looking at him going, he's a dickhead, everyone's like, yep, that's, that's kind of his job at this point, is to be a dickhead. But um, just because that's how he makes his money does not mean that's okay, that's how he makes his money. And then, uh, so I guess Keemstar attacked H3, H3 swung back, and then Keemstar made another video, and then H3 swung back again. There's been like three videos, I think, on either side, and other people that have been harassed are now joining in, and it's just, it's really, it's really an interesting thing to watch, in my opinion, because I've heard of all these different people, and like I said, I've seen the content cop already from like four years ago, so I already knew that Keemstar was a shitbag. I am a fan of H3. I don't watch their podcast as much anymore, like I occasionally do, but I don't know. It's uh, it's just been an interesting thing. That's all I gotta say about that. Now, there are a couple points I do want to touch on, because I feel like they they are important because a lot of people are making these points and using it in Keemstar's favor. And I feel like he shouldn't have any favor because he's gotten people swatted and urged people to kill themselves and said mental illness doesn't exist. And as a person with depression, quite a bit, hearing that depression doesn't exist and that it's something you need to just get over and be happy and stop being so weak, it's like, fuck you, okay? Like, you're such a piece of shit. It's not like... Sometimes there's no reason. It just kind of hits you. And then you're kind of fucked for the day. And you have to try your damnedest to get through it. And this channel was born of depression. This was my therapy. To get out um, all of the just awful dark cloud in my head. And making videos and talking to you guys has really helped out a lot. I feel like I'm better than I've ever been. And I, I think I have most of you to... Uh, thank for that. I mean, if it weren't for you guys, maybe I wouldn't be in such a great place mentally, but because of how supportive you all are, um, I'm definitely in a, a better headspace than I've been in a very long time. So thank you for that. 
But hearing this guy just shit on people and attack families and do all this stuff, he does not need your defense. It's like when people defend a large corporation that has done nothing but shit on its employees and laugh at its customers. It's, it's insane to me that people are again rushing to the defense of something that does not deserve a defense. Now, I am anti-cancel culture all the way. There are so many people that have been canceled that don't deserve it. For the dumbest reasons, I mean, what, James Gunn was canceled and brought back, by the way, because it was really fucking stupid, but he was canceled over a joke from on Twitter from like 10 years ago, and it wasn't even that bad. I mean, it was just, it was a stupid, dirty joke about like a chimpanzee masturbating at a zoo or something, and it got all over a kid, and he thought it was fucking hilarious. It's just... I don't understand why is why is that cancel worthy especially if it was 10 years ago and then the whole Kevin Hart thing where he made like a gay joke or something 10 years ago I, I don't understand what is wrong with people and why they have to go digging in your past your very far past to see like old behavior even though these people have evolved into different people I don't think I've tweeted out too much dumb shit I'm sure I've said enough dumb stuff on the podcast to get me canceled in the future if I ever do get anywhere on this platform, but I just don't understand it. I mean, if, if people have shown that they have grown up or are really not a bad person in general, it doesn't make sense to try to go after them and ruin their lives. Now, GameStar, on the other hand, is not a evolved, amazing human being. He has been a bag of dicks since day one. He has always been the bully of the internet. I mean, I know at some point, like way back, it's actually the opposite. It's kind of funny. I say he's always been that way, but he's he's always been that way since he's been a huge figurehead on YouTube. But before he was like a, a huge figurehead on YouTube, I've seen clips of him actually being an encouraging person and helping people. But then like the past six years happened and then he's been a dickhead. So really interesting to see someone just kind of get worse over time and not better so i don't think this is the same sort of thing as encouraging cancel culture and also the fact that he lost his g fuel sponsorship how did i mispronounce sponsorship by the way i've had this much beer so far this is my first beer maybe i need to drink more that'll help me talk better so he lost his G Fuel sponsorship. Now, I understand the argument that going after people's sponsors is not okay. I get Critical's take on it. I really do. Because people can weaponize their masses to just attack people they don't like and try to get rid of their sponsorships. But I would argue that in this case, it makes sense. It's It just makes sense. I was surprised that G Fuel was sponsoring him in the first place, you know. For the longest time, I thought that logo on his hat was not G Fuel. I thought that was his logo. The, like, circle thing, the G Fuel logo. I thought that was his. Because he was so directly tied to G Fuel, constantly wearing G Fuel hats, G Fuel shirts. He had G Fuel on his laptop. He had G Fuel everywhere. He had a G Fuel canister and a mix cup on his desk in every episode where he's taking people down, swatting people, um, yelling the N-word, doing a bunch of just despicable shit. It's just got G Fuel right there. And I feel like 
I did not try G Fuel for the longest time because I associated people like him with the product. And there are a lot of people out there that I believe have said the same sort of thing. I mean, I've seen it in comment sections like, you know, I I never wanted to even try G Fuel and give them the time of the day because I saw they were sponsoring Keemstar. Now, again, I don't understand why they sponsored him for this long or why they thought his behavior was okay. I know so many people that have been dropped for less. I, I just, it, it completely baffles me that he got away with that much for that long. I like to give G Fuel the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were just looking at his analytics. They've been partnered with him a very long time. Maybe they just didn't really pay attention to what was going online with him. I don't know. It's kind of hard to avoid all of this shit that he does, but I don't know. It's I want, I want to give G Fuel the benefit of the doubt and thinking that they just don't pay attention. But that also, that that's the flip side of the coin, is the fact that companies don't pay attention is why it's also dangerous for going after sponsorships to be a precedent because if people start just claiming that you have done things, the, the company's not going to look into it because they don't pay attention to what your content actually is and what you're doing. Yeah, you can get away with things, but if people just start reporting things you're not even doing, you could lose your sponsorship. So there's, I, I, that's another reason why I think G Fuel didn't know what he was doing for the longest time because of other people losing their sponsorships just because of people claiming things that they did not do. And it's just, it's amazing to me to just see all of this unfold. I feel like YouTube is just a drama machine a lot. But usually it's fake and it's between people that really are just using the algorithm to boost each other's channel up. And it's a way of collaborating. All the Logan Paul, KSI, all that bullshit, that was all, I believe, in my opinion, fake drummed up stuff just to get their channel numbers up, their subscription numbers up, everything like that. And it's genius. I mean, I don't I don't blame them for doing that. I really don't. If it whatever works that works. That's great. Good for you. I don't agree with the children manipulation thing and trying to sell merch, but the strategy of using fake drama to drum up your channel, I'm fine with that. I don't care. Whatever. You're not hurting anybody. You're feeding people entertainment that that enjoy drama. So you're really, you're not doing anything bad. You're just entertaining people. That's fine. As long as nobody gets hurt, Whatever marketing ploy you're deciding to use, that's fine. In my book, at least. Maybe there's a lot of other people that disagree. That's fine. That's just how I feel about it. So, there's my take on that whole matter. I think that's really the only thing I have to say about it. But I definitely did want to address it because that's kind of the big thing that's going on in the platform. And I feel like a lot of people have been talking about it. And I'm sure most of you guys have heard about it. Another thing that is going on is the fact that, again, this crisis might be pushing game development. There's a lot of different games that are supposedly going to get delayed. Phil Spencer's talking about Xbox Series X games getting delayed. I believe Halo was rumored to be delayed. I mean, that's... <sighs> I get it. I mean, it makes sense. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of this must be just programming. Why can't you do this at home? Why, why can't people just work from home? and just keep doing the same work. I don't know, I mean, I've I've had a lot of digital stuff that I keep almost hitting the mic, I need to just move a little bit farther away. 
I mean, I've been able to do everything. I'm not, I don't have as much of an intensive job as they do, but I still feel like, I don't, I just don't understand why games aren't getting done. There's probably a lot of meetings that have to get done, but again, most meetings can be done digitally. So it's kind of shocking to me that so many things are getting delayed. And for some reason, I've been, a lot of people have been advertising when they are putting up their Last of Us 2 reviews. A bunch of different websites have done that. Like, I'm getting, I'm getting, like, alerts for some reason through Google when they're putting up reviews, like, at some sort of event. I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever had any game really be pushed this much when it comes to reviews. And I think it's just because of how many people really expect this game to be a shit show. Though, a lot of people are predicting, and I think quite accurately, that this game is going to score very highly with critics, but is going to be review-bombed into the ground by users, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, whether or not this game is going to be terrible is yet to be seen, but the story itself, I feel, is a very big departure from what a lot of people, including myself, wanted the sequel to be. And I, I'm not going to give any spoilers in the podcast. I've already discussed it in another video. But supposedly there have been outside influences as to why this story happened. And that's just, that's not, that's not how it should be ever. You know, it's just really frustrating that, that, that outside sources can change a story so drastically just because they want to get some sort of political agenda across. Like, I'm I'm so sick and tired of that sort of thing happening with video games and, and movies. And it's usually really transparent and really poorly done. If you want to comment on things that are going on in the state of the world, that's fine. But you should do it in an elegant and well-crafted way. And I feel like a lot of these different companies just shoehorn it in to the point that it's painful. There's also a list of free games right now. I'm trying to find it. I found it before I started doing the podcast, and I just want to let you guys know what games are free right now. I think it was... I'm trying to remember what article had it. What free games... I know Call of Duty World War II is going to be a free game, which I don't care i mean a lot of people are saying it's an underrated game i just don't think it was that great of a game to begin with i mean it was okay but i don't think it's something that should really be excited about because i think it's the only playstation game that is free right now okay so i don't think Aegis defenders is free right now i think this is an older article yeah, this is frustrating. I, I found the article on the other computer, but... Um, so, right now, I guess when this comes out, there is a different game that's free on Epic. During the filming of this, if you're a patron, I guess you can still get Civilization VI for free on PC. The Witcher Enhanced Edition is free on GOG. And that is not the article that I was reading before. That's so frustrating. I hate when that happens. When you find a really good article... And you just leave it for a second, and you come back, and it's just gone. Yeah, that's frustrating. There's the free games with gold that are announced. I mean, they're not really that exciting. There's Shantae and the Pirate's Curse. I mean, that's a pretty good game, but 
Eh, coffee talk. I don't know anything about that. Destroy All Humans, that's pretty cool. That's going to be available June 1st to June 15th. And Cinemora is June 16th to June 30th, which I actually have reviewed on this channel. It's a very depressing shoot-em-up game. It's, uh, it's like another game with a bunch of anthropomorphic animals as the main characters. But it's like really violent and dark. And they reference like rape and stuff happening. And I'm like, what in the fuck am I playing? This is a game with anthropomorphic animals as the characters. And it's a shoot 'em up. Like, both of those things put together, like, it should not be a really depressing game. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you could reference B Stars as an example of, you know, an anthropomorphic animal depressing thing. But I feel like shoot 'em ups in general are not meant to have horrible stories like that that kind of just make you feel miserable shoot 'em ups to me are these fast-paced energetic games that they just get your blood pumping and you're excited and you're like wow this is gonna be so much fun you're dodging a bajillion bullets and you're there's that techno music playing whereas this is just like drab and dreary and i did not like that game at all i think i gave like a six or a seven whatever score i gave it was probably too high i mean the gameplay itself wasn't bad and that's probably why i gave it a decent score but I just don't feel like it fits the theme of what a shoot 'em ups should be. I mean, you could argue that they're trying something different, but different doesn't always mean better. Something else I want to talk about, because I'm not going to be doing an official review on it, I've just been streaming this game a lot, but I've been enjoying it a lot more as I've been playing it, and that is Man Eater. Man Eater is a game right now. That is going to be coming out for the Xbox One and PS4 at some point. I don't remember when. I don't know if it's available right now on the PS4, Xbox One. It might be. I know it's on the Epic Game Store, so that's going to turn a lot of people off. It's got a year-exclusive contract with Epic. And again, you know what? As much as I've shat on the Epic Game Store for their practices, and I continue, I'll continue to do so because it's kind of messed up, but I don't blame the developers ever choosing to do the contract because they get more money than they would on Steam. And I'm sure Epic threw them a bunch of money. So that's great because these smaller developers, I mean, Tripwire isn't too, too small. I mean, they've had a successful series now for a while with Killing Floor 1 and 2, but they tried something different with this game. And you know what? Just kind of give a first impressions first six seven hours in i mean that's a decent chunk of gameplay i think that's like halfway through the game it's a, a relatively short game at 15 hours but that's fine not every game needs to be a four thousand hour long game like final fantasy or elder scrolls or stuff like that or xenoblade which i do want to talk about for a quick second um when you first start the game I do need to knock off a few points if I were to give it a review score because what the hell, why is the beginning so awful? Now the beginning, beginning, the prologue is fun because you're a big shark. You are a baby shark. That's how you start the game. You're, you're a baby shark when you actually start the game. But the prologue, you're the mommy shark and you're pregnant with you. And the main antagonist, which I mean, it's a... You are kind of the antagonist because you're murdering a bunch of people, but I'm rooting more for the shark in this game than I am the people because the people are just kind of weird assholes. Um, 
And the way that the game is done, it doesn't, you don't feel bad about killing people. It's just kind of, I think Jim Sterling said it best when he said it's more of a slapstick game. It doesn't take itself seriously. It's not a dark, horror, depressing game. Excuse me. It is a lighthearted murder fest, if that makes any sense. You're eating everything in sight. Anyway, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. So you're the mama shark and you get captured by the main antagonist and he cuts open the mom shark and yanks out the baby cuts the fin a little bit so he knows that shark in the future and then throws you in the water and that's how you start you're a little you're a pup i didn't even know baby sharks were called pups but apparently they are they're called something adorable even though they're eating soulless machines and you work your way up, you level up, and you become like a teen, and then an adult, and an elder, and then I don't know what's after that. I think elder's probably the last one. I've gotten to adult so far, and the game has gotten so much better. After you get past the pup and the mid-teens, you start being less worthless. And once you're less worthless, the game is so much more fun, because you're just on this power trip... And you're just munching alligators like it's nothing. Whereas when you're a pup, you're terrified of the alligators. And all you can do is chomp on the itty bitty fish and try not to get murdered. Because it's almost impossible to kill those damn alligators in the beginning. And whenever you start getting more powerful and you're leveling up a lot faster. And you're able to kill things a lot faster. The game gets so much better. Once you start unlocking some of the evolutions, like I've got like the bone fins and the electric teeth, you start doing a lot more damage. You can start stunning things. You've got more health. You've got more armor. It's so much better once you have progressed farther into the game. And I know that sounds kind of like, well, no shit. Of course, the game gets better as you go along. But just that beginning, I almost stopped playing the game entirely because it was just frustrating. I was like, what the fuck? I'm just getting mauled by everything. I'm just weak. This is taking forever to level up. And then finally you kind of like hit a point in the game where you get momentum. And as you've got that momentum, I just kept playing. And I played the game for like three and a half hours on Sunday. And I only meant to play like an hour. I just got sucked into the game and I was having so much fun. And I was just chomping through everything and flopping around in the land and eating people. It was hilarious. It's so good. So, now, do I think it's worth 40 bucks? No, but I'd argue that the game's barely 40 bucks as it is. I mean, it's I've already seen it go on sale for like 30, 33. I mean, it's already getting to the price point that I'd recommend. I think 25 bucks is a fair price point. Once it gets to 25, I think I can easily recommend it. And again, I mean, if you don't want to give Epic money, I don't blame you. You can always just get on the PS4, Xbox One, though I, it's probably going to run a lot better on the PC and look a lot better, obviously. And technically, I mean, I haven't really had too many issues. I've had some of the enemies kind of no-clip through the wall. That was a bit frustrating. Some of their attack patterns are annoying because they dart at you really fast and they just go zooming past you. So if you dodge them like you're supposed to, you then have to swim forever that way to catch up with them to actually start attacking them again the lock-ons the lack of a real lock-on system is a bit frustrating especially in some of the tighter corridors 
like in your kind of like a little bayou or if you're just in a, a section, even in the deep sections, it'd still be nice to have a lock on feature. It has like a soft lock on thing, but I would like a full Zelda lock on type thing. That'd be pretty awesome. And, uh, but besides all that, and then the one time where I had the game get all laggy for some reason, but I think that was just because I had Photoshop underneath running. I didn't know, but it was weird because I didn't have any issues for like two hours and I randomly just had to close it and then the game worked again. I don't know. There must've been something going on in the background, but that was the only time I ever had the game really get glitchy or lose frames. So yeah, overall recommend the game at about 25 bucks, but beyond that, I don't know. Minecraft Dungeons have re has recently released. I'll probably play that, or I guess when this has come out already, I'll have played it on stream. I've been looking forward to this game for a while just because I love Diablo. I love Minecraft. This is like a mine. How did I still hit the mic? This is a marriage of Minecraft and Diablo from what I've seen. It's getting like a bunch of sevens across the board, but you know what? Fuck reviewers. I want to give it a shot anyway because there are plenty of games that they've shat on that I enjoy. In fact, let me see real quick. What did, and a lot of people don't like IGN, but it's just kind of the easiest aggregate site to see what other people are going to put it at. I think IGN gave it like a seven. Oh, I can't see. Let's see. What did GameSpot give it? I think GameSpot gave it a seven too. Yeah, they gave it a seven. They also gave Maneater a seven. I think seven's a, a fair score for Maneater. They gave Wonderful 101 a 4 for some reason. I don't really get that. Um, I've seen it get... I think originally it got a better review score on this website. And I wanted to make a video about this. But I know Donkey has already made two videos about the fact that you can't really take an individual site's score. You know, you can't really take it too seriously you really need to aggregate all of the scores together because the problem with looking at reviews on IGN GameSpot game trailers destructoid any of those different websites they have so many game reviewers there's so many of them and especially IGN IGN hires a shitload of freelancers and because of that there's no cohesive voice to their review you can't look at the previous reviews and go, oh, that's why he gave it that score. He doesn't really like that genre of game. And then it could also just be a super fanboy that they happen to hire on as a freelancer. And he really loves that series. So he gives it like a nine or a 10. And that's another bias score. Well, not really bias. It's just there needs to be a track record, in my opinion. So you really know what that review score means. And that's why I think YouTube reviewers, I know this sounds incredibly biased, but hear me out. YouTube reviewers are really the only source that I think you can trust because you can look back at their past scores. You can look back at what they've enjoyed. I think Destructoid has this a little bit, but most sites don't. There's just way too many reviewers in the site. So you can rarely look back to see what else they reviewed and kind of get a feeling of, do you agree with this person? Do you think you're going to enjoy it anyway? What does that review score really mean? 
And I would argue that kind of numbers in general don't really tell you the whole picture. They're kind of stupid, but they're also kind of nice at the same time to just kind of give a, a quick general thought of a game. Like I said, I would give Maneater like a 7. But what does a 7 from me mean? I mean, I haven't really done a whole lot of reviews on this channel. So you guys are like, well, what, is, what does a 7 mean from Fanta? I mean, I in my opinion, I think a 7 means... It's a pretty good game. It is worth playing, but wait for a little bit of a sale. That's what I think a seven means. Eight is like really good, but I don't know. I, I would have to really think about it. I don't want to just like off the cuff, just start th saying what I think numbers mean. In my opinion, I think I'd have to really sit down and think about what my different scores would mean. I kind of look at them look at them as uh, grades. Like, what would an eighty on a, a paper be? An eighty on a paper, it's a gr it's a good paper, but there was definitely some improvement that could be made. Nine, barely any improvement needs to be made at all. Pretty damn good. Ten, nearly flawless. It can definitely still have flaws. I like how I just said I wasn't going to do this, and now I'm doing it. I need to just. So I need a co-host. I need somebody to stop me from doing this. But overall, I think looking at Metacritic helps a little bit, just so you can look at an aggregate score, what kind of the general consensus is. You can't really look at user scores because, again, you don't really get the voice and a lot of people vote with too much emotion behind it. I see lots of 10s and zeros. That doesn't make any sense. I can't think of a game that is really a zero unless the game does not work at all. I mean, if a game is functional i think it at least deserves a one but again i can't really think of a one out of ten game maybe men in black for the ps2 that game was pretty garbage but it was playable ish but barely i don't i don't know what reviewers gave that game in fact you know what this is a podcast it doesn't matter i can look it up what if <laughs> uh men in black ps2 review what did it get nobody oh what the fuck it got a 7.2 see this is what i mean it got a 7.2 on GameSpot and a 4 on ign GameSpot. i don't know what the fuck is wrong with you but that game is garbage listen to this bullshit while it doesn't directly follow the plot of the movie, it does what most arcade-like shooters and most summer movies should do. It shows up, it's fun from beginning to end. No, the game is fucking garbage. It's just awful. I'll never play that game again. Terrible. Awful. 1 out of 10. 1 out of 10. That was one of those games... Now, I have a little bit emotion behind it, too. I am definitely biased when it comes to reviewing this game because it was a game that I rented from Blockbuster, and I even discussed this in my Blockbuster video, but nobody watched it, so I can talk about it here. And the game was garbage. But that was my game for the weekend. So I just kind of had to deal with it. I just kept trying to play it and enjoy it. But it was just a miserable time. Fuck that game. Fuck that game. By the way, I'm looking over here at all my games. I just forgot that SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom came out again. Or is it coming out? Let's look that up. I never played that one. The only SpongeBob game I played was the Flying Dutchman game. And that was alright. 
battle for bikini bottom. Oh, it's called rehydrated. That makes sense. What is it getting? Let's see. Is it even out? No, it is coming June 23rd to Steam. And it's going to be $26.99. I don't know. I don't... I don't know that that many people really want to play that game again for that much money. What is it going to be on the Switch? THQ Nordic just bought up all of these old properties and they're remaking them. And I'm completely fine with that. That's awesome. But at the same time, I don't know that I want to spend 30 bucks on a SpongeBob, an old SpongeBob game. And I don't really remember why this one was so good, but I do remember a lot of people really liking this game. Uh, there's a brand new horde mode for up to two players online or split screen. I like that there's split screen, but um, I can't remember the last time that I've been excited for a horde mode. Like if I really want to play a horde mode, I'll just play Killing Floor 2. Um, since 1 is just did not age super well. Also, it looks like Cloudpunk got a 7. I was streaming that not too long ago, and that game was a lot of fun. But again, I would agree with it at 7, I think. It's just, it's another one of those games that... It has fun parts to it, but there's also a ton of issues. And uh, that's something that can definitely drag it down. I know, not... The voice work wasn't too, too bad, but some of it was a little bit cringy, and the dialogue was just not written super well. Oh yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles. Xenoblade Chronicles, what the hell is up with that resolution? I mean, that is... what? Okay, I don't want to quote wrong numbers here, because I've, I've been hearing these things about Xenoblade Chronicles, and I just don't understand it. How can they have such bad resolution on the Switch? I mean, it's an old game now. So I don't get why it would be this downgraded. Why wouldn't it be 720 or 1080p? Like, I get 720 on handheld, but it's not. You know, I mean, it's it's not even 720p all the time docked. The Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, I guess, is the same as Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which honestly should have had better graphics than Definitive Edition. I know they upped the graphics a bit, but still, five, 504, which I've never heard of, 504p to 720p docked. What? And then handheld is 378p to 540p. Oh, man. That's, uh... I don't get that, guys. I really don't. I think there needs to be a Nintendo Switch Pro. I really do. I think it needs to... I think there needs to be one, and I feel like next year would be the perfect year to launch one. When did the Switch come out? Because there usually is kind of like a mid-generation upgrade, and I would happily pay the money for a Switch Pro. I mean, I can write it off on my taxes, to be fair, but still... March 3rd of 2017. The Switch is three years old. It's three years old, which is about halfway through a console lifespan. Let me see when the Wii U came out. Let's see what Nintendo's launch schedule is like. Yeah. 
so the Wii U was around for about five years before the Switch came out. Now, I think the Wii U must have had a shorter lifespan than previous Nintendo consoles just because it was just kind of nobody cared about it and they desperately needed to put out something that people did care about. Yeah, it looks like five to six years is because uh, the Switch, the original Wii, came out in 2006. So it was 2006, and then the Wii U came out in 2012, and then the Switch came out in 2017. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're about halfway through the lifespan of the average Nintendo console. Now the question is, will Nintendo do what the competition's been doing and put out a mid-generation upgrade? And you know what? I don't think they will. I don't think the Switch Pro will ever happen because if you look at the track record of Nintendo, they have never done a mid-generation upgrade. Now, you could argue that this is kind of a new thing. This has really only happened during the Xbox One and PS4 lifespan because they've been really trying to keep up with graphics as technology keeps getting better and they're trying to keep up with PCs as much as possible. And Nintendo has never really done that. And I, I do see them starting to take other cues from their competitor counterparts, but they're not taking the right things, in my opinion. I mean, they took paid online. Congratulations. You took the one thing I didn't want you to take from everyone else, and you made us pay to play online, despite your online infrastructure being utter dog shit, and your friends list sucking, and not having chat outside of a you have to have a phone app that i've never downloaded and i refuse to download i want nintendo to get the hint that what they're doing is not okay stop being stuck in the past i love my switch don't get me wrong i love the portability of it i love a lot of the games that have come out for it and i love some of the ports that have become portable but i hate the fact that nintendo is so stuck in the past that they do dumb shit all the time like only one island in Animal Crossing, no cloud saves for a bunch of games for stupid fucking reasons, and the fact that the online is like PS2 era online. Like, that's ridiculous. In fact, that's not even PS2 era, because during that time, the Xbox original in Halo 2, you could have friends lists and stuff like that. So, I don't, well, that was only in Halo, though, that the friend list existed, I believe. But there was still voice chat on the console for the original Xbox. How old is the original Xbox? When did the original Xbox come out? Let's find out. Which, by the way, I've been playing a lot of original Xbox. I love that console so much. I want to talk about that in just a second. Xbox launch. 2001. Nintendo, you're 19 years behind. What the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Anyway, rant over. But the Xbox original, oh my god. I like the look of the system. It's this giant fucking box. It's just insanely huge, but for some reason, I like that it is. I'm not a huge fan of the controller. I don't have the Duke. I've got like the second generation one. I've got a, I think I've got a blue or a green one. I don't remember what I bought off of eBay. I wound up buying another one off of eBay and spending way more money on a controller than I originally wanted to, but I wanted to play two-player with my dad on Serious Sam, 
which is a phenomenal game, by the way, and has aged like a fine wine. I fucking love Serious Sam, and I am really excited, but also worried about the new Serious Sam game, which coincidentally comes out, I think, three months. I think it comes out in August. That's awesome. I could be wrong with the date, but I'm pretty sure I guess I can look it up. I have a computer in front of me. Also, fun fact, I only use this computer um, during the uh, podcast. Uh, 2020, it just says sometime in 2020. Oh, August 2020, I was right, okay. It is going to be 40 bucks, so that's not too bad. There is no discount on buying it before it comes out or when it first launches. And the reason I'm waiting for it to come out before I buy it, I'm not only going to try to get a review code, but that's not why I'm waiting. The main reason I'm waiting is because of Serious Sam 3 was just a miserable nightmare. I don't like Serious Sam 3 at all. It does not feel like Serious Sam. Serious Sam is about just mindless, endless carnage. And I it, it has to be a little bit goofy. It's got to have a crazy soundtrack. And Serious Sam 3 is like the Call of Duty of Serious Sam games. And it's just, it's just blech. It doesn't look good. It's all drab. It's like a military shooter. It's like, what the fuck happened? What did you do? The pacing isn't right. I feel like the graphics were somehow a step back, even though the graphics are technically better. I just liked the style of the graphics from the other couple Serious Sam games. Now, Serious Sam 2, I wasn't a huge fan of either because that was too cartoony. It was like the first game was perfect. The second game... Uh, and then there was Serious Sam 3, which was just not good. I think the first and second encounter were the gold standard of Serious Sam. The Serious Sam game, which I don't own on the GameCube, but I do own on the PS2, but I don't have here, so I can't show you. I think it's called The Next Encounter. That needs to be poured to the PC. Why is that not on the PC? Because that game was again it just felt like the next encounter it felt like the second encounter it was so much fun if you don't own these games by the way what are you doing with your life you need to get them on the pc if you have a pc they'll pretty much run on every computer if you have a computer that came out in the last like six or seven years i think you'll be fine and it's usually on sale for like 250 for the first and second encounter so just like Five bucks get to the complete package of the good games. So just do that. You'll you can thank me later. Come back to this video if you didn't leave a like already. Do it. Comment down below that you got Serious Sam or that you've at least played it already because it's amazing. And if you've played the next encounter, you know one of the main reasons why that game needs to be ported over. Not only is it stuck in the past where it is just lingering there that nobody's played it. But when you're playing split screen, there's no fucking saving. I have never beaten that game because I have binge played it for like eight hours or something like that. But the game is incredibly long. And when you turn off the system, there's no saving. So it's just you're back to square one again. So now I think I've played like four or five hours straight. Eight may have beaten the game, but four or five hours straight, we did not beat the game. And because of that, I do not know how the game ends. I refuse to look it up. I just need to, I guess, get like an emulation or something. Because I guess I'll play it on a stream. Maybe just buy it for the GameCube. Look it up on eBay. I don't understand how I don't have that game. 
but I have so many other games that are much more expensive. I mean, I've got a copy of Melee here and a copy of Melee at the other house. I've got a copy of Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, another copy of Wind Waker, Kirby's Air Ride, another copy of Kirby's Air Ride, Super Mario Sunshine. I have so many of these sought-after, amazing GameCube games, but I don't have Serious Sam for the GameCube, which I guess was the best version of the next encounter. Yeah, I went on a huge tangent about Serious Sam, but yeah, the original Xbox, I like it a lot, and the thing is, as a kid, I did not own an original Xbox, and I did not own a GameCube. Now I have eight GameCubes and two original Xboxes, but my point being is that as a kid, the original Xbox creeped the fuck out of me, and it still does a little bit, and that's because of the like creepy green ooze. I liked the intro, the intro was fine, but like when you don't have a disc in and you're just on like that main screen, it's just creepy. You just hear all these like weird noises in the background and when it's really late at night and you're like 10, you just hear all these voices and like static and creepy shit. It's like a demonic main menu. And now I love it. I love it so much. It's unlike any other main menu for any console ever. It's it's so interesting to see what the different... They kind of embody the different consoles. I've never thought about this before, but let's go ahead and just think it out loud in the middle of a podcast. This Because, you know, that's what a podcast is. It's basically a stream of consciousness. Especially when it's just me. So, if you think about it, back when the menus of consoles were creative because they're not now which was really only one generation where they were really creative now you could argue the 360 was a bit creative because it kept changing the main menu because the blades were shit and a couple of the other ones were not very good but they kind of wound up on something that was okay but um the ps3 was the same way all the way through i liked it just because it was kind of basic and it changed the color every month. It was pretty neat. It's basically what Spawn Wave has as his background. I like it a lot. And if he didn't have it as his background for green screens, you bet your ass I would have taken that shit. But I'm not going to steal from him. So, that was cool and everything. And the Wii, I I don't like the, the main menu on the Wii at all. It's just this sterile white thing that you can't change. It's like the Wii U one, you can't change it. It's like the Sw- the Wii, the Wii U, and the Switch all had the dumbest fucking menus, by the way. I think the Switch finally has like a dark mode to it. I don't remember off the top of my head because it's not a memorable menu. But why can't I change the themes? Even the 3DS could change themes. Why can't I change my Switch's theme? It's such a stupid thing to get upset about. I understand that. But at the same time... It adds that level of personalization that I think really does add to the console. Because I do remember the main menu screens of these different things, and that's why I'm about to break it down. So, the GameCube, what was that main menu like? It was kind of, it was a little bit ethereal, but it was a little bit playful, because it's like a box, and it goes, you know, it's, it's nice. It's like a nice main menu it's fine it's a game cube it's a cube inside the main menu and it's a game cube it's great it's cool whatever wonderful it kind of matched 
the system itself. It's a little bit quirky with its intro. It's a little bit quirky with the main menu and how it moves things around. Has... I just forgot his name. What What is his name? Oh my god. Jakey. Has Jakey already done this? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so this is just as quirky as the console itself. Awesome. Really cool. The PlayStation 2. And also, it, it's kind of like for everyone. It's not too creepy. It's not... But it's also not too kitty at the same time. And then you move over to the PlayStation 2. And the PlayStation 2, the intro, the wah, it's just simple, but it's, you know, it's crisp. I like that little PlayStation 2 pop-in thing super fast. But the startup, the startup is crazy. Because those towers get bigger, like the longer you play the games and there's more towers when it comes to like more games that you've played because it looks at your memory card and it's got this really weird ethereal feel to it and it's not really creepy but it's definitely not as playful as the GameCube because it's kind of that it's it's the console that's for everyone whereas the GameCube I feel like was a lot more geared towards the younger demographic and the Xbox was geared towards the older demographic which we'll get to, I just talked about already, actually, the main menu, so I don't have to talk about it again, but I want to reiterate that that one was creepy. <laughs> it was all dark and creepy, and a lot of the games like Brute Force and Halo and Crimson Skies and all of these different games that were very violent-focused, and then the PlayStation 2 was just this ethereal thing, and it's, like, mysterious, and it's just really interesting, and it... I feel like that's how the system itself feels. It's kind of like this mysterious machine that lived for so long past it should have. It sold way more units than I ever thought it would. And it had an insanely huge library of every single type of game imaginable. And I think that never-ending background of all the towers and just the etherealness of it, it's just... It's never-ending. It's always expanding like the universe. And just like the universe was always expanding, its library kept expanding. Its sales kept expanding. It was just this unstoppable machine that was never-ending. And it just had insane amounts of people playing it, just like the insane amount of towers you had as your library grew. That was kind of a weird way to look at it. If I were to do like a dedicated video... I could actually write up a script and make something a lot better than what I just said, but this is a podcast, so I'm just kind of talking off the cuff from what I remember. But thinking back, I mean, just goddamn, Nintendo has been fucking lazy when it comes to those main menus, and uh, they just suck. I mean, <laughs> can't even make a theme on them. I mean, even PlayStation 3, it took them a bit. If I remember correctly, it took them a bit to start adding those themes. For a while, you had to pay for a lot of them. But they started adding a lot of free ones. And then you could change the background. But yeah, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, definitely theme-based. And there's lots of them. There's lots of different themes. And because of that, you can really customize your console to how you want. The cool thing about the PlayStation 4 is that the themes, they're really interesting because... You can have something different when you're down in the main menu part, but if you scroll up to the top part of the menu, it can be a different image or it can change the whole theme. It's really, I like what they've done with it. I also, 
I like and hate at the same time the fact that there's music in the background. Like, I had the Witcher one for a long time. I never got sick of that music for some reason. Now I have the Ghosts of Tsushima, which I guess it's Tsushima, not Tsushima. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, whatever. I mean, I guess I'll pronounce it correctly now that I know, but that's not the point. I do have that as the theme now, and I like the music in that. It's really peaceful. There's like this animated background. So I think PlayStation has surpassed Xbox now because Xbox, I think you can kind of just choose whatever image you want, but from what I've seen, they're not as well done as the themes on PlayStation 4. I really like those on the PlayStation 4 a lot more. But uh, overall, PC wins because you can customize the fuck out of that thing to anything you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're talking about consoles here, damn it. Um... But yeah, uh, speaking of next generation consoles, I'm, I'm wondering what the, or speaking of just consoles in general, uh, I wonder what the next generation of consoles is going to be like. I, like I said, this all stemmed from me saying that Nintendo is probably never going to have a mid-generation console. Let me finish out that thought. I don't think Nintendo's going to have a mid-generation console. I think they're just going to wait it out no matter how inferior their tech is, no matter how downgraded their games have to be for their system just because they are selling so well that they probably don't feel like they have to. Though, what does disprove my mid, you know, console lifespan change-up theory is the fact that the DS had so many different change-ups. But, I mean, the lifespan of the DS was fucking insane. I mean, when did the DS launch? The, the original DS launched in 2004... And the... When did the 3DS launch? So it was the 2004 and the 3DS. 2011. So, wow, I thought the DS was around a lot longer than that. That's interesting. So, seven years. And think about how many different DSs came out. But it seems like only Nintendo does that with the handhelds. But this is a handheld and home console. So I guess the future is a little bit more murky than I thought. Let's see. So DS, let's see, DS launch date was what, 20, 2004. When did the DS Lite come out? Let's start taking a look at the different things here. Two years later, so there should be a new switch if they're following that model. So the DSi launched in 2009, which is about five years after the original launch of the DS. But, I don't know, I would argue that the DSi was kind of the the worst update to the DS because it got rid of the Game Boy Advance slot and didn't really add anything to the system besides a camera and a bigger screen. Eh, whatever. DS Lite, I think, was the second best handheld of all time. Second to the Game Boy Advance SP, which I own like a bajillion of. And I used to own a bunch of DS Lights. I think I've got one right here, actually. I d no, this is an original DS. Oh my god. Let's just talk about the DS. I don't give a shit. Let's let's do that. Oh, let me finish up my thought though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I keep doing that. I'm all scatterbrained right now. I need more beer to really tone it down. Okay. So, because of the fact that the Switch is both a handheld and a home console, I don't think there's any sort of... Uh, you know, pattern that we can look back at. 
I don't think there's any sort of thing that we can look back and go, oh, well, Nintendo did this, so they'll probably do this with the Switch. It's kind of a mysterious step in Nintendo's evolution because they've kind of phased out the need for any kind of DS because they've got a handheld and a home console in the same time. So, I don't know. There could be a pro, but I feel like Nintendo's not going to do that. Do you remember the original DS? Do you guys remember this thing? I mean, look at this thing. When it first came out, I was really excited about it because it was just this interesting thing, and I actually had an original one. This isn't my original one. I sold it as a kid because the screen is just dog shit in the original. It had a backlight, but it just did not look as crisp as the DS Lite. But when I was a kid, I didn't think that the DS Lite originally was something that was even worth thinking about. But really, the DS Lite, that screen is just so crisp. It's so bright. I mean, there's a reason it's called light. I mean, it's just, it's so bright. The light is the main feature that was exciting about it. And I don't, you know, I don't think I have a DSi. I just got a bunch of DS lights. Yeah, I've got like four DS lights. Let me get the Mario one. That's exciting. It's Mario. Ugh. So the DS Lite, I think, was peak. Was peak handheld. Oh, they didn't have a screen protector in the bottom one. It's all scratched up. This right here is when I think the DS peaked. I don't think the DSi was really an upgrade. I felt like it was a downgrade because they got rid of this right here. Game Boy Advance slot. And the fact that you could do backwards compatibility with two different types of cartridges was amazing. I know that was on the original DS as well, but I like that fact. Oh, it was on the original DS, right? I don't want to just start talking shit. I have it right here. I might as well check. I don't remember. Like I said, it's been a long time. Yeah, it does have the original Game Boy Advance slot on the bottom. That was cool. I liked that it was backwards compatible because there were lots of original Game Boy Advance games that I love. I think it also played original Game Boy games, if I remember correctly. So it was really cool that it had that backwards compatibility built in. And this was like, I think, the only real time they've ever done backwards compatibility, or they, they had done backwards compatibility in a long time. I mean, I guess Game Boy Advance did play original Game Boy, but it was just cool to have like three generations of games that were playable on this little thing. And the, the size of it is just perfect. The screen is big enough that you can see everything. It was bright enough, the battery lasted forever. I mean, fuck's sake, I just powered this thing on and I have never charged this thing in my entire life. I mean, I bought it and I never I never even reset it. I mean, the, the username is still I love dad with like a, a club, like the club thing and a cell phone emoji. So, there's just so much that was so good about the DS Lite, and I don't think the DSi improved nearly enough to make it worth selling this thing and getting that. Phenomenal system. In fact, you know what? This might be my favorite above Game Boy Advance SP. I think the Game Boy Advance SP wins just because of the nostalgia factor. And here's my original. Ugh. This is my original Game Boy Advance SP. I still have it. Again, still powers on. That doesn't happen anymore with any system. They all die immediately. 
I mean, the fact that these batteries still turn on, I mean, of course they die if you actually play the damn thing, but the fact that their standby battery is so freaking long, that's so commendable. That's so cool. And you know what? Now that I'm looking at this thing, I think this is still number one. I, again, nostalgia goggles are duct taped onto my face. I will admit it. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm very biased when it comes to this thing, but the Game Boy Advance SP, maybe this isn't my original one. This looks scratched to fucksville. I don't think mine was. This isn't my original. I don't think so, at least. Let me see. Should have put my initials on it or something. Maybe this was my original. I don't know. Shit. Oh, god damn it. Oh! <laughs> I'll fix that for audio listeners and everyone. I don't know. I don't remember what my original one looks like now. Oh, god damn it. I have a couple that are the exact same color. This might be the original. I don't know. It was this color, though. And, uh... This one also still powers on. That's so funny. Yeah, I don't know. This is just such a cool console. It's so small. Look at this. You just put it in your pocket, and then you flip it out. I think this was during the days of flip phones. This is kind of just really cool that you could do that. And the feeling of it in your hand. I mean, it was just the perfect on-the-go thing. This was like the first Game Boy to ever have a backlight besides the Game Boy Light that never came to America. Oh my god, this... Just holding this thing brings back memories. Yeah, I, I love this thing. This definitely is still the best console of all time. There's no, there's just no competition, you know? I mean, it's just, it's perfectly small, but it's not too small. And I mean, the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance, I mean, they're just so bulky and there's no light. And because there's no light, they just can't even compete. They're not even close. I don't know why I got on this tangent. I need to, I need to do a video about a PSP Go. I've been um, thinking about that. I need to pick up my PSP Go from my house because I just need to do a video on that system because it's a, I think it's a really um, not undervalued. I think it's a really underrated system. Holy shit, I have... I just realized I have two of these, and this one's in beautiful condition. I don't remember when I got this. The Game Boy Micro, the Game Boy Advance Micro, is pretty cool. I do like that you can change face plates, but the problem is, is the screen is too small, and the screen is not protected. I mean, it's got the face plate protecting it, but you scratch up the face plate, and you're just kind of foobar. Whereas the Game Boy Advance SP, it folds and you're good. You're just good. It's not going to ever get the screen scratched unless you're stupid. And even as a dumb kid, never got it scratched. I must have bought this from someone for a decent price because this thing's in beautiful condition. I have, I have two Game Boy Micros. It's like most people on the planet don't even have two Game Boy Micros. Um, I mean, the 1% of people that own Game Boy Micros because I own two of them. But I, I like this system. I like it a lot. Let me see. Did I even try to power this thing on? Let me see if the battery is just as good as the other ones. This is such a random episode of the podcast. Yeah, look at that. I do love the screen on this thing, though. The screen is beautiful. It's really bright. 
And because of how small it is, I was able to beat Pokemon Ruby while I was working at GameStop because I could just have it like underneath the cabinet or the desk and nobody saw it. And it was phenomenal. I might still have that. Oh, you know what? I know where the other one is. I know where it is. I was, I was really sad for a second. I was like, oh shit, I lost it. We're talking about handhelds. Fuck it. I'm going to do a video in the future on different handhelds because I feel like handhelds are something that is going to stay in the past besides the Switch. I don't think dedicated handheld systems are going to exist anymore because it's kind of an outdated concept if you think about it. After the Switch, there's just no reason. Now, Jesus Christ, this thing's dirty. Ugh. Anyway, the PSP was the second console I bought with my own money when I earned enough from babysitting. This is not my original one. I believe my original is either lost in space-time or it's at my house. I don't remember. It's one of the two. But this console... The thing about the PSP is that I like what it was trying to do. I like that the graphics were close to the PS2. But I don't like that there was only one thumbstick. Like, what were they thinking? There's one stick. What the fuck? What are you doing? What console has one thumbstick besides the N64? It doesn't make sense. Don't do that. It was not good on the N64 to have one thumbstick. It's not going to be good to have it on the PSP. If you can't make room, make room. I don't care if you think you can't do it. You put it on this side. Why can't you put it on the other? And because... Also, the batteries were dog shit on this thing. I do want to say that. I can't turn this thing on right now. Um, the standby time was just absolute dog shit. But it did have online play... At the time, the memory was really expensive, but now you can get the memory for really cheap. What is this one? They had a one gig card. That's it. Oh, that's garbage. What a garbage card to be in here. I don't even know why I own this. I probably bought it in a, a lot. But the cool thing about this is that, like I said, the graphics were really good, but just... I don't know, the load times were a lot longer. The battery life was a lot less... I mean, the screen is a lot bigger, and the games could be a lot more complicated. Like, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core was really good. Jean d'Arc was really good. Loco Roco 2, amazing. Um, Battlefront, what, which one was this one? Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron was awesome. I remember playing the online for that one. Really cool. I think the issue with this over the DS, battery life is significantly... Worse, it's a, it's a bit heavier, it's bigger, and uh, I don't know. There's just a lot about this system that left you wanting more. A lot of the DS games felt like they were built for the system, and they worked a lot better, and there, were a lot, there was a lot more support for the system, I feel. Nintendo just makes amazing first-party games, and they always support their system to the best of their ability. I mean, even though the Wii U was a failure in sales, as a console, when it comes to games, I don't think it was a failure. It had a lot of amazing games for it. It really does. And the DS was similar. It, was, it did amazing in sales. It had a lot of amazing games. Um, games that I still, I mean, I still have and play to this day. I mean, it had a bunch of Zelda games, a bunch of Pokemon games. And 
it was just a really good system. I mean, it had an Animal Crossing on it, Advance Wars, Custom Robo, Kirby. It had one of the best WarioWare games. It was just a phenomenal system that also had download play. That was really cool. So if somebody didn't have a copy of your game and you had Mario Kart, let's just say, everybody could play Mario Kart. And this just, I don't know. It, it had Grand Theft Auto and that was really cool. You could play that on the go. But those little UM, those UMD discs, I hate them. I mean, they broke all the time. I was, I'm very careful with my games, but I still had a couple of them cave in just because of how chintzy the plastic was. And it was so loud whenever they loaded. Just these awful noises as you're waiting for the game to take 50 hours to load. Though the PSP Go, I feel like remedied a lot of these issues. It was less bulky, it was smaller, the screen was better, and uh, had a decent amount of built-in storage, which is good because these things are incredibly easy to hack, and I'll discuss that in my PSP Go video. What else can I talk about before I end this? Because I just went on this huge tangent. Because I'm in this room, so I want to talk about retro video games, and I feel like... Most of you guys care about retro video games, so I didn't think it was too bad of a tangent. I had a lot of other things I wanted to talk about, but they just kind of slipped my mind as soon as I hit the record button, which is a shame. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Just looking around the room. Oh, the Vita. Remember the Vita? That was dead on arrival. Good God. I remember the launch of that when I was working at GameStop. Here we go. Come on, GameStop. You guys care about GameStop. So, when I was working at GameStop, the Vita was the thing we were supposed to be hyping up, but I couldn't even get hyped for the damn thing before it came out. I really couldn't. As an owner of a PSP and a DS, a 3DS actually, the Vita, it had a lot going for it in the graphics and technical department. But they still didn't add a second thumbstick because they're stupid. Did they? Wait a minute. They might have, actually. Let me look at a, a PS Vita. Yeah, they did. I'm trying to what they did. Let's look at a PS Vita again. I don't, I don't have it here. I've got that again at my house. It does have a second thumbstick. Okay. So what did they do wrong with the Vita? Because it wasn't the second thumbstick. They did have one of those. Thank God. Had a beautiful AMOLED screen. Had just... The buttons were great. The two thumbsticks worked great. What was the issue? The issue was that they didn't give a shit as soon as they launched the system. They did not care to support that system at all. And another reason, this is the biggest reason, was how expensive the thing was. The system was expensive and the memory was ungodly expensive. Because it has this proprietary stupid memory card that cost an arm. It was like $100 for like a decent amount of memory. And they were trying to sell these Vitas also with a cellular plan. There was one that came with a cellular plan. So you had to pay monthly to play this thing online wherever you were. A neat idea, but I don't want to pay monthly for a handheld console to play online with unreliable network. I think it was like through AT&T as well. AT&T is garbage in most places. Also, they did the PlayStation thing of adding too many gimmicks and making it more expensive than it needed to be. Hello. 
Hello, this thing right here. It's so chock full of gimmicks. I know Nintendo does the same sort of thing, but with PlayStation, there's always a second price to the fact that they added gimmicks. There's a light bar in this. You don't need it. You could argue, oh, it's kind of cool, but who cares? If it's adding the cost to the system, it's not worth it. Now, thankfully, this is like the same price as an Xbox One controller. It's not randomly like 70 80 bucks like the switch controller is which is really stupid but that's also full of gimmicks and that's why it's more expensive touchpad that's what was on the back of the ps vita no game used that fucking touchpad like a couple of games did at launch just because that's what playstation does they have a couple of gimmicky games that use it and then completely drop it i don't remember any time i ever used this touchpad on the playstation 4 Motion controls, I think, was also in the Vita and the PlayStation 4 controller and the PlayStation 3 controller. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about motion controls. Motion controls, I just don't I don't like them. They work well in some games, like on the 3DS, you can use them for aiming. In the Ocarina of Time remake and Majora's Mask remake, that was great. But that's such like a minimal thing. Is it really worth putting that technology in? It's like how they put an IR scanner or sensor on the the Joy-Con. What the fuck uses that besides that stupid game where you're going like this to eat a sandwich? Nothing. Nothing uses that. It's just a worthless thing that you put on there that now makes the controller cost like 80 bucks. So stupid. So it was just chock full of all these different things that made the system more expensive. It did not come with a lot of built-in memory. The memory you did have to buy for it was overly expensive. It was a mess. And they didn't support it. There's like barely any games for the Vita that I can remember that are worth a damn. I mean, the PSP has way more games than the Vita, like by far. When I think of the Vita, I think of Persona 4 Golden, and that's it. That's all I can think of for the Vita. I know there was more. I heard the Uncharted game is okay. I heard the Assassin's Creed game is okay. But they didn't have like a specific Grand Theft Auto for the Vita. They didn't have any real reason to get the system. And because PlayStation didn't or Sony didn't give enough of a shit to make the system worth buying. They just the system just died. And it's a shame because it's such a wasted potential of a console. And they could have done so much. I'm sure there's some hidden gems in the console, but overall there were no system sellers. There was no reason to go out and buy the system. Just a bunch of wasted tech and a gorgeous screen. Even the second iteration that improved the battery life and made it a little bit less chunky and made it more comfortable to hold, it had a slightly degraded screen from the original, but it was still a gorgeous LED screen. Yeah. Ah, so much wasted potential in the Vita. I remember it came out launch day. We sold like four or five of them. And I just, I thought to myself as people bought them, like, what are you doing? You're wasting so much money on this garbage product that I predicted day one was going to die. It just, I saw zero potential with how they launched it and how they really had no plans for the future of the system. And because of that, I knew I knew it. I knew people were buying a dead system. I do wish I'd gotten a, a 
PS TV or Vita TV or whatever it is because those are also easily hackable and that'd be really cool but uh yeah what is Amazon selling a Vita for what are you if you're trying to buy a new Vita how much is it $330 Jesus Christ oh my god for the old no it's for the new version good lord real quick before I end this how many how much are they on eBay how much is a Vita on eBay and I also really quickly want to look up um, what games were really good for the PlayStation Vita. Wow, the Vita is still selling for a decent amount. Let's do systems sold. Wow. Consoles, yep. 150, 110, 130, 130, 135, 140. Wow. 131. So it shockingly held on to its value quite well. But what are the best Vita games? Let's see what I missed out on here. Gravity Rush is pretty good, but that's on the PS4 now, so there's no reason to own it. Tearaway also ported. All the games that were worth a damn were ported over or are on other things. The number one game, Persona 4 Golden. Beautiful game. I'm surprised they haven't ported that to the PS4. Someone's going to comment down below that they are. I heard Killzone Mercenary wasn't very good. Soul Sacrifice was supposed to be okay. Yeah, there's just not enough you know there's just not enough games for the system you know i guess killzone mercenary i guess was okay don't starve is in the pc and everything else minecraft is on everything else walking dead's on everything else it had a luminous game that's cool it had a wipeout 2048 but there was a new i think that wipeout might have come to ps4 as well uncharted golden abyss but it's probably the weakest of all the uncharted games Lost Dimension, I don't know about that, anything about that. Rogue Legacies on PC, Spelunky's on the PC, and all the consoles. They just didn't have the exclusives that were needed to really carry the system. And uh, Guacamelee, that's on everything right now. Dragon Quest Builders, that's cool, but that's also on everything right now. It's just they did not have any exclusives that were worth getting the system for it still astounds me how good the games looked on it it was close to ps3 graphics like i'm still really impressed with how the games look but just because the system looks good does not mean it's worth buying it does not mean that the system is going to sell well and i think that's what sony placed all of its bets on it placed all of its bets on the graphics and did not spend nearly enough time securing games for its future. It did not think about how getting money right now by charging people an insane amount of money for a, a stupid proprietary memory thing. That's what killed the Vita, honestly. The stupid proprietary memory. If you could just buy an SD card, I think the system would have done a lot better. Because you needed... That memory, especially during the PlayStation Plus days, 
when you'd get free Vita games. I had PlayStation Plus even before you needed it to play online because I got so many Vita games on PlayStation Plus, but it filled up my card and I couldn't even install the games I wanted to. <sighs> Such a wasted potential. Could have been so cool. And the reason that's so sad is because if the Vita had done well, you bet your ass that Sony would still be in the handheld game and there'd be more competition in the market. Competition fuels more creativity and I don't know. It would just be cool to see what their next iteration would be. Anyway, thank you for watching slash listening to this episode of the Back to the Futon podcast. And of course, thank you to all my wonderful patrons. And I hope you all have a fantastic day. See you guys.